Chapter 17 of Sam in the Suburbs by P.G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17. Activities of the Dog Amy. The day that followed Mr. Breddock's dinner party dawned on a world shrouded in wet white fog. By eight o'clock, however, this had thinned to a soft, pearly veil that hung clingingly to the treetops and lingered about the grass of the lawn in little spider webs of moisture. And when Kay Derrick came out into the garden, a quarter of an hour later, the September sun was already beginning to pierce the mist with hints of a wonderful day to come. It was the sort of morning which should have bred happiness and quiet content, but Kay had waked in a mood of irritated hostility, which fine weather could not dispel. What had happened overnight had stung her to a militant resentment, and sleep had not removed this. Possibly this was because her sleep, like that of everyone else in the neighborhood, had been disturbed and intermittent. From midnight until two in the morning, the dog Amy had given a spirited imitation of ten dogs being torn asunder by red-hot pincers. At two, Hash Todhunter had risen reluctantly from his bed, and arming himself with the number eleven shoe mentioned in the previous chapter, had reasoned with her. This had produced a brief respite, but by a quarter of three, large numbers of dogs were once more being massacred on the premises of Mon Repose, that ill-named house. At three, Sam went down, and being a young man who liked dogs and saw their point of view, tried diplomacy. This took the shape of the remains of a leg of mutton, and it worked like a charm. Amy finished the leg of mutton, and fell into a surfeited slumber, and peace descended on Burberry Road. Kay paced the gravel path with hard feelings, which were not removed by the appearance a few moments later of Sam, clad in flannels and a sweater. Sam, his back to her and his face to the sun, began to fling himself about in a forceful and hygienic manner, and Kay, interested in spite of herself, came to the fence to watch him. She was angry with him, for no girl likes to have her singing criticized by bangs upon the wall, but nevertheless she could not entirely check a faint feeling of approval as she watched him. A country-bred girl, Kay liked men to be strong and of the open air, and Sam, whatever his moral defects, was a fine physical specimen. He looked fit and hard and sinewy. Presently, in the course of a complicated movement which involved circular swinging from the waist, his eye fell upon her. He straightened himself and came over to the fence, flushed and tousled and healthy. "'Good morning,' he said. "'Good morning,' said Kay coldly. "'I want to apologize, Mr. Shotter. I'm afraid my singing disturbed you last night.' "'Good Lord,' said Sam. "'Was that you? I thought it was the dog.' "'I stopped directly you banged on the wall.' "'I didn't bang on any wall. It must have been Hash.' "'Hash?' "'Hash Tudhunter, the man who cooks for me, and, oh yes, who chirrups at you out of trees.' I got your note and spoke to him about it. He explained that he had mistaken you for your maid, Claire. It's rather a romantic story. He's engaged to her. Engaged? That's just what I said when you told me, and in just that tone of voice. I was surprised. I gather, however, that Hash is what he would call a quick worker. He tells me he has a way with him. According to his story, he kissed her, and after that everything was nice and matey. Kay flushed faintly. Oh? She said. Yes, said Sam. There was a silence. The San Rafael kitten, which had been playing in the grass, approached and rubbed a wet head against Kay's ankle. "'Well, I must be going in,' said Kay. "'Claire is in bed with one of her neuralgic headaches, and I have to cook my uncle's breakfast.' "'Oh, no, really? Let me lend you Todhunter.' "'No, thanks. Perhaps you're wise. Apart from dry hash, she's a rotten cook.' "'So is Claire.' "'Really? What a battle of giants it will be when they start cooking for each other.' "'Yes.' Kay stooped and tickled the kitten under the ear, then walked quickly toward the house. The kitten, having subjected Sam to a long and critical scrutiny, decided that he promised little entertainment to an active-minded cat, and galloped off in pursuit of a leaf. Sam sighed and went in to have a bath. 
Some little time later, the back door of Mon Repose opened from within, as if urged by some irresistible force, and the dog Amy came out to take the morning air. Dogs are creatures of swiftly changing moods. Only a few hours before, Amy, in the grip of a dreadful depression caused by leaving the public house where she had spent her girlhood, for, in case the fact is of interest to anyone, Hash had bought her for five shillings from the proprietor of the Blue Anchor at Tulse Hill, had been making the night hideous with her lamentations. Like Rachel, she had mourned and would not be comforted. But now, to judge from her manner and a certain jauntiness in her walk, she had completely resigned herself to the life of exile. She scratched the turf and sniffed the shrubs with the air of a lady of property taking a stroll on her estates, and when Hash, who did not easily forgive, flung an egg at her out of the kitchen window so that it burst before her on the gravel, she ate the remains light-heartedly, as one who feels that the day is beginning well. The only flaw in the scheme of things seemed to her to consist in the lack of society. By nature sociable, she yearned for company, and for some minutes roamed the garden in quest of it. She found a snail under a laurel bush, but snails are reserved creatures, self-centered and occupied with their own affairs, and this one cut Amy dead, retreating into its shell with a frigid aloofness which made anything in the nature of camaraderie out of the question. She returned to the path, and became interested in the wooden structure that ran along it. Rearing herself up to a majestic height and placing her paws on this, she looked over, and immediately experienced all the emotions of stout Balboa when with eagle eyes he stared at the Pacific. It is not, indeed, too much to say that Amy at that moment felt like some watcher of the skies when a new planet swims into his ken, for not only was there a complete new world on the other side of this wooden structure, but on the grass in the middle of it was a fascinating kitten running round in circles after its tail. Amy had seen enough. She would have preferred another dog to chat with, but failing that, a kitten made an admirable substitute. She adored kittens. At the Blue Anchor there had been seven, all intimate friends of hers, who looked upon her body as a recreation ground and her massive tail as a perpetual object of the chase. With a heave of her powerful hind legs, she hoisted herself over the fence, and, descending on the other side like the delivery of a half-ton of coal, bounded at the kitten, full of good feeling, and the kitten, after one brief shocked stare, charged madly at the fence and scrambled up it, into the branches of the tree from which Hash Toddhunter had done his recent chirruping. Amy came to the foot of the tree and looked up, perplexed. She could make nothing of this. It is not given to dogs any more than to men to see themselves as others see them, and it never occurred to her for an instant that there was in her appearance anything that might be alarming to a high-strung young cat. But a dog cannot have a bloodhound Airedale father and a Great Dane Labrador mother without acquiring a certain physique. The kitten, peering down through the branches, congratulated itself on a narrow escape from death and climbed higher. At this point, Kay came out into the garden. Hello, dog, said Kay. What are you doing here? Amy was glad to see Kay. She was a short-sighted dog, and took her for the daughter of the host of the Blue Boar, who had been wont to give her her meals. She left the tree and galloped toward her, and Kay, who had been brought up with dogs from childhood and knew the correct procedure to be observed when meeting a strange one, welcomed her becomingly. Hash, hurrying out on observing Amy leap the fence, found herself a witness of what practically amounted to a feast of reason and a flow of soul. That is to say, Amy was lying restfully on her back with her legs in the air, and Kay was thumping her chest. I hope the dog is not annoying you, lady, said Hash in his best pro-chevalier manner. Kay looked up and perceived the man who had chirped at her from the tree. Having contracted to marry into San Rafael, he had ceased to be an alien, and had become something in the nature of one of the family, so she smiled amiably at him, conscious the while of a passing wonder that Claire's heart should have been ensnared by one who, whatever his merits, was noticeably deficient in conventional good looks. Not at all, thank you, she said. Is he your dog? She corrected Hash. Yes, miss. She's a nice dog. Yes, miss, said Hash, but with little heartiness. 
I hope she won't frighten my kitten, though. It's out in the garden somewhere. I can hear it mewing. Amy could hear the mewing, too, and still hopeful that an understanding might be reached. She at once proceeded to the tree and endeavored to jump to the top of it. In this enterprise, she fell short by some fifty feet, but she jumped high enough to send the kitten scribbling into the upper branches. Oh, cried Kay, appreciating the situation. Hash also appreciated the situation, and being a man of deeds rather than words, vaulted over the fence and kicked Amy in the lower ribs. Amy, her womanly feelings wounded, shot back into her own garden, where she stood looking plaintively on with her forepaws on the fence. Treatment like this was novel to her, for out of the blue anchor she had been something of a popular pet, and it seemed to her that she had fallen among tough citizens. She expressed a not unnatural peak by throwing her head back, and uttering a loud, moaning cry like an ocean liner in a fog. Hearing which, the kitten, which had been in two minds about risking a descent, climbed higher. "'What shall we do?' said Kay. "'Shut up!' bellowed Hash. "'Not you, miss,' he hastened to add with a gallant smirk. "'I was speaking to the dog.' He found a clod of earth and flung it previously at Amy, who wrinkled her forehead thoughtfully as it flew by, but made no move. Amy's whole attitude now was that of one who has got a front row seat and means to keep it. The old thing here, explained Hash, is that that their cat is scared to come down, being frightened of this ear dog. And having cleared up what might otherwise have remained a permanent mystery, he plucked a blade of grass and chewed reflectively. I wonder, said Kay, with an ingratiating smile, if you would mind climbing up and getting her. Hash stared at her amazedly. Her smile, which was wont to have so much effect on so many people, left him cold. It was the silliest suggestion he had ever heard in his life. Me, he said, marveling. You mean me? Yes. Climb up this ear tree and fetch that there cat. Yes. Lady, said Hash, do you think I'm an acrobat or something? Kay bit her lips. Then, looking over the fence, she observed Sim approaching. Anything wrong? said Sim. Kay regarded him with mixed feelings. She had an uneasy foreboding that it might be injudicious to put herself under an obligation to a young man so obviously belonging to the class of those who, given an inch, take an L. On the other hand, the kitten, mewing piteously, had plainly got itself into a situation from which only skilled assistance could release it. She eyed Sam doubtfully. Your dog has frightened my kitten up the tree, she said. A wave of emotion passed over Sam. Only yesterday he had been correcting the proofs of a short story designed for a forthcoming issue of Pike's Home Companion, Celia's Airman, by Louise G. Boffin, and had curled his lip with superior masculine scorn at what had seemed to him the naive sentimentality of its central theme. Celia had quarreled with her lover, a young wing commander in the Air Force, and they had become reconciled over to the latter saving her canary. In the mad moment in which his critical faculties must have been completely blurred, Sam had thought the situation far-fetched, but now he offered up a silent apology to Miss Boffin, realizing that it was from the sheer stark facts of life that she had drawn her inspiration. You want her brought down? Yes, I do. Leave it to me, said Sam. Leave it absolutely to me. Leave the whole thing entirely and completely to me. It's awfully good of you. Not at all, said Sam tenderly. There was nothing I wouldn't do for you, nothing. I was saying to myself only just now. I shouldn't, said Hash heavily. Only go breaking your neck. What we ought to do here is to stand under the tree and chirrup. Sam frowned. You appear to me, Hash, he said with some severity, to think that your mission in life is to chirrup. If you devoted half the time to work that you do to practicing your chirruping, one repose would be a better and sweeter place. He twisted himself into the tree and began to climb rapidly. So much progress did he make that when, a few moments later, Kay called to him, he could not distinguish her words. He scrambled down again. What did you say? he asked. I only said take care, said Kay. Oh, said Sam. He resumed his climb. Hash followed him with a pessimistic eye. 
A cousin of mine broke two ribs playing this sort of silly game, he said moodily. Light-haired fellow named George Turner had a job pruning the elms on a gentleman's place down Chigwell Way. Two ribs he broke, besides a number of contusions. He was aggrieved to find that Kay was not giving that attention to the story which his drama and human interest deserved. Two ribs, he repeated in a louder voice. Also cuts, scratches, and contusions. Elms are treacherous things. You think the branches is all right, but lean your weight on them and they snap. That's an elm he's climbing now. Oh, be quiet, said Kay nervously. She was following Sam's movements as tensely as ever Celia followed her airmen's. It did look horribly dangerous, what he was doing. The proper thing we ought to have done here was to have took a blanket and a ladder and a pole and to have held the blanket spread out and climbed the ladder and prodded at that there cat with the pole, same as they do at fires, said Hash, casting an unwarrantable slur on the humane methods of the fire brigade. Oh, well done, cried Kay. Sam was now operating in the topmost branches, and the kitten, not being able to retreat farther, had just come within reach of his groping hand. Having regarded him suspiciously for some moments, and registered a formal protest against the proceedings by making a noise like an exploding soda water bottle, it now allowed itself to be picked up and buttoned into his coat. Splendid! shouted Kay. What? bellowed Sam, peering down. I said splendid! roared Kay. The lady said splendid! yelled Hash, in a voice strengthened by long practice in announcing dinner in the midst of hurricanes. He turned to Kay with a mournful shaking of the head, his bearing that of the man who has tried to put a brave face on the matter, but feels the uselessness of affecting further optimism. It's now that's the dangerous part, miss, he said. The coming down, what I mean. I don't say the climbing up of these ear elms is safe. Not what you would call safe, but it's when you're coming down that the nasty accidents occur. My cousin was coming down when he broke his two ribs and got all of them contusions. George Turner, his name was, a light-haired feller, and he broke two ribs and had to have seven stitches sewed in him. Oh, cried Kay. Ah, said Hash. He spoke with something of the smug self-satisfaction of the prophet whose predicted disasters come off as per schedule. Halfway down the tree, Sam, like Mr. Turner, had found proof of the treachery of Elums. He had rested his weight on a branch which looked solid, felt solid, and should have been solid, and it had snapped under him. For one breathless moment, he seemed about to shoot down like Lucifer. Then he snatched at another bough and checked his fall. This time the bough held. It was as if the elm, having played its practical joke and failed, had become discouraged. Hash, with something of the feelings of a spectator in the gallery at a melodrama who sees the big scene fall flat, watched his friend and employer reach the lowest branch and drop safely to the ground. The record of George Turner still remained a mark for other climbers to shoot at. Kay was not a girl who wept easily, but she felt strangely close to tears. She removed the agitated kitten from Sam's coat and put it on the grass, where it immediately made another spirited attempt to climb the tree. Foiled in this, it raced for the coal cellar and disappeared from the social life of San Rafael until late in the afternoon. Your poor hands, said Kay. Sam regarded his palms with some surprise. In the excitement of the recent passage, he had been unaware of injury. It's all right, he said. Only skinned a little. Hash would have none of this airy indifference. Ah, he said. And the next thing you know, you'll be getting dirt into him and going down with lockjaw. I had an uncle but got dirt into a cut, and three days later we were buying our blacks for him. Oh, gasped Kay. Two and a half, really, said Hash, because he expired toward evening. I'll run and get a sponge and a basin, said Kay in agitation. That's awfully good of you, said Sam. 
O woman, he felt, in our hours of ease uncertain, coy, and hard to please, when pain and anguish rack the brow, a ministering angel thou, and he nearly said as much. You don't want to do that, miss, said Hash. Much simpler for him to come indoors and put him under the tap. Perhaps that would be better, agreed Kay. Sam regarded his practical-minded subordinate with something of the injured loathing which his cooking had occasionally caused to appear on the faces of dainty feeders in the forecastle of the Araminta. This isn't your busy day, Hash, I take it, he said coldly. Pardon. I said you seem to be taking life pretty easily. Why don't you do a little work sometimes? If you imagine you're a lily of the field, look in the glass and adjust that impression. Hash drew himself up, wounded. I'm only staying here to help and encourage, he said stiffly. Now that what I might call a peril is over, there's nothing to keep me. Nothing, agreed Sam cordially. I'll be going. You know your way, said Sam. He turned to Kay. Hash is an ass, he said. Put them under the tap, indeed. These hands need careful dressing. Perhaps they do, Kay agreed. They most certainly do. Shall we go in, then? Without delay, said Sam. There, said Kay, some ten minutes later. I think that will be all right. The finest efforts of the most skillful surgeon could not have evoked more enthusiasm from her patient. Sam regarded his bathed and sticking plastered hands with an admiration that was almost ecstatic. You find training in this sort of thing, he said. No. You've never been a nurse? Never. Then, said Sam, it is pure genius. It is just one of those cases of an amazing natural gift. You've probably saved my life. Oh, yes, you have. Remember what Hash said about Lockjaw. But I thought you said Hash was an ass. In many ways, yes, said Sam, but on some points he has a certain rugged common sense. He, won't you be awfully late for the office? For the what? Oh, well, yes, I suppose I ought to be going there, but I've got to have breakfast first. Well, hurry, then. My uncle will be wondering what has become of you. Yes, what a delightful man your uncle is. Yes, isn't he? Goodbye. I don't know what I met a man I respected more. This will be wonderful news for him. So kind. Yes. So patient with me. I expect he needs to be. The sort of man is a treat to work with. If you hurry, you'll be able to work with him all the sooner. Yes, said Sam, yes. Uh, is there any message I can give him? No, thanks. Ah, uh, well, look here, then, said Sam. Would you care to come and have lunch somewhere today? Kay hesitated. Then her eyes fell on those sticking plastered hands, and she melted. After all, when a young man has been displaying great heroism in her service, a girl must do the decent thing. I should like to, she said. The Savoy Grill at one thirty. All right. Are you going to bring my uncle along? Sam started. Why, uh, that would be splendid, wouldn't it? Oh, I forgot. He's lunching with a man today at the press club. Is he? said Sam. Is he really? His affection and respect for Mr. Matthew Wren increased to an almost overwhelming degree. He went back to Mon Repose, feeling that it was a presence in the world of men like Matthew Wren that gave the lie to pessimism concerning the future of the human race. Kay, meanwhile, in a role of understudy to Claire Lippett, who had just issued a bulletin to the effect that the neuralgic pains were diminishing, and that she hoped to be up and about by midday, proceeded to an energetic dusting of the house. As a rule, she hated this sort of work, but today a strange feeling of gaiety stimulated her. She found herself looking forward to the lunch of the Savoy with something of the eagerness which, as a child, she had felt at the approach of a party. Reluctant to attribute this to the charms of a young man whom less than twenty-four hours ago she had heartily disliked, she decided that it must be the prospect of once more enjoying good cooking in pleasant surroundings that was causing her excitement. Until recently she had taken her midday meal at the home of Mrs. Winnington Bates, and, as with the celebrated chewing gum, the taste lingered. She finished her operations in the dining room and made her way to the drawing room. Here the photograph of herself on the mantelpiece attracted her attention. 
She picked it up and stood gazing at it earnestly. A sharp double rap on the front door broke in on her reflections. It was the postman with the second delivery, and he had rapped because among his letters for San Rafael was one addressed to Kay on which the writer had omitted to place a stamp. Kay paid the tuppence and took the letter back with her to the drawing room, hoping that the interest of its contents would justify the financial outlay. Inspecting them, she found that they did. The letter was from Willoughby Braddock, and Mr. Braddock, both writing and expressing himself rather badly, desired to know if Kay could see her way to marrying him. End of chapter 17